Pode ser. Ah, Mike. Take your Bibles, if you will. Turn with me to the book of Amos, chapter 9. Amos, chapter number 9. We've been going through the book of Amos today. Uh, this morning and this evening we'll be finishing up the book of Amos. This morning we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 of Amos chapter 9. It's been a wonderful study. Very convicting, powerful stuff. We've seen a mixture of a little bit of everything. God's wrath, God's grace, God's mercy. Amos chapter number 9, we'll begin reading with verse number 1. If you're able, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Verses 1 through 10, Amos chapter 9, the Word says, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and he said, Smite the lintel of the door, that the post may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, thence Will I command the sword, and it shall slay them, and I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not for good. And the Lord God of hosts is he that toucheth the land, and it shall melt, and all that dwell therein shall mourn, and it shall rise up holy like a flood, and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. It is he that buildeth his stories in the heaven, and hath founded his troop in the earth. He that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth, the Lord is his name. Are ye not as children of the Ethiopians unto me, O children of Israel, saith the Lord? Have not I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the Syrians from Kerr? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you again, thanking you for your word. Lord God, your word is convicting and truthful. And Father, I pray, Lord, that for those of us that are here within the sound of my voice, Lord, that they hear the convicting truths of your word. And if they are lost, Father, I pray that you uh, convict them and save them. Lord God, if we're drifting away, I pray that we are brought back through the conviction of the Spirit. Father, I pray, Lord, that you give me the words to say. Lord, give me the words to preach as a dying man to dying people. Lord God, may your name be exalted. May your Son be exalted. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I've titled this morning's message, No Escape. No Escape. As we've been going through these nine chapters of the book of Amos, we have seen where Amos has stood faithfully against these rebellious, stiff-necked, 
people. These people that have been so privileged to uh, be able to uh, take in and, 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 and hear the oracles of God, the, the words of God. These people that have been so privileged to be given the sacrificial system to uh, be able to have a relationship with the one true and living God. We've seen that throughout the book where he has stood and preached and said, it doesn't matter of your privilege if you are not worshiping God, the true God and only Him. He says, you will be judged. Judgment has been the key theme throughout this book. But yet throughout this book, mixed in with judgment, we have seen bits and pieces of grace. As he would preach, there would always be instances of grace being bestowed and, and uh, preached and proclaimed. If, basically, if you just repent and come back to me, you will be forgiven. But there were people that refused to be forgiven. There were people that refused to accept the grace of Almighty God. And in doing that, God says, I have no choice but to judge these people. These people that have rebelled against my word. These people that have rebelled against my name. Judgment must come. And folks, one day, if we refuse to repent of our sins, judgment will come to the unrepentant sinner that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God's righteousness demands that sin be punished. Beginning in chapter 8, we saw where grace was not being extended, but he was basically saying, now is judgment coming. And judgment was preached, and judgment was proclaimed in chapter 8. And in verse number 9, judgment, or I'm chapter, sorry, chapter 9, judgment is still proclaimed, judgment is still preached, but he is declaring that there is no escape from the judgment of God. So in saying all of that, there's three things I want us to notice. First of all, I want us to notice the judgment of God. And then secondly, we're going to notice the power of God. And then thirdly, we'll notice the impartialness of God. Verses 1 through 4, we see the judgment of God. This is a, a vision of Amos that he has seen that the Lord has given to him. And he says in chapter 9, verse 1, he says, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar. And he said, Smite the lintel of the door that the post may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them. And I will slay the last of them with a sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. First of all, I want us to notice God's position. Where is God stationed at in all of this? It says in verse number 1, the first part, He says, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar. That's interesting that the Lord is standing upon the altar. The altar would usually be a place of mercy and grace. It's a place where you would go to... Uh, Commit a sacrifice to have your sins forgiven, your sins atoned for. But it's at the altar that uh, that these people have been worshiping false gods. It's at this altar that the people have been worshiping pagan gods. They've been intermingling pagan worship with the one true God worship. This altar no longer represents mercy and grace and forgiveness. 
But at this moment now, because of the intermingling of, of paganism and idolatry, this altar now represents justice and wrath and punishment. And we see the Lord standing as if He is ready now to inflict punishment upon these people that are refusing to repent and trust in Him and Him alone. Judgment is coming. God is positioned at the altar, standing, ready to inflict whatever punishment He deems fit. The altar had been corrupted. And listen, let me say this. God, you may be here this morning, and you may have sung some songs to God. You may have lifted up your voice and and sang Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, but yet your heart knows nothing of the grace of God. Your heart knows nothing of the mercy of God. What you might be doing is you're going through religious motions because that's what you were taught to do. That's what you were raised up to do. It's Sunday, so I have to get up and I have to go to church. It's Sunday, so I have to put on my Sunday best. And it's Sunday, I have to grab my Bible. It's Sunday, I have to say my prayers and eat my vitamins. It's Sunday, it's Sunday, it's Sunday. But folks, listen to me. It doesn't matter how many times you get up on Sunday. It doesn't matter how many times you can sing the chorus to Amazing Grace. It doesn't matter how many times you read your Bible and say your prayers. What matters is this. Do you have a relationship with an Almighty God that sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on your sins? That is what matters. Are you here this morning and you think just because of your uh, upbringing, your religious upbringing, that you can uh, just do whatever you please? What you're doing is the equivalent of what the Israelites were doing. What the kingdom of Israel were doing, intermingling pagan worship and, I, and the worship of God. God says this, Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. This morning, make a decision, who are you going to serve? Notice where this judgment is taking place upon the people. He says he is upon the altar. So he says, smite the lintel of the door, that the post may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them. That's in the temple. That's in a place of worship. You see, God desires faithful worship. There's so many people that are deceived into thinking that just because they come to church on Sunday, that that's all there is to the Christian life. But God desires wholeheartedness. Not half-heartedness. That's what the kingdoms were doing at this time. They'd worship Jehovah, God, the true God. Then they'd worship Baal. Or some other false god. Then they combine the two. God desires worship in spirit and in truth. He desires that we love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But because they are half committed 
to God, they're wholly damned to punishment. There's no escape for them. Even in this place of worship, there's no escape for them. And the ones that aren't in the place of worship... Remember, we've mentioned all sorts of other sins that had come about. Oppression of the poor, the uh, pridefulness of the people. Thinking that they don't need God. They're elsewhere. But he says, I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. In other words, he's saying you can run, but you can't hide. There's no escaping the eternal punishment of God. Notice God's presence in verses 2 through 4. He says, Though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out. Thence, and though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them. And I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not for good. You see what Amos is putting into perspective for the these wicked, sinful people that refuse to repent of their sins. He's putting into perspective something that brings comfort to the Christian. Brings comfort to those that know Jesus Christ. In Psalm number 139, we're reminded that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. And verses 7 through 10 of Psalm 139 says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Isn't that comforting for the Christian? That in times of distress, in times of hardship, That it doesn't matter where we go, God is there. It doesn't matter where we we think that, that God is not looking. He is looking and He is watching and He sees everything that we're going through. And He's just ready and waiting to, to wrap us into His loving arms to, to, to comfort us and, and protect us. But what's good for the Christian... What's good for the righteous. What's good for those that know Christ as Lord and Savior. What's comforting for us. Can be uncomfortable. For the wicked. In our text. He says you can dig yourself down into hell. To try and escape. He says, but I'm going to be there. And, and if you manage to, to build a tower up into to heaven, he says, I'm going to be there. If you think you can go into captivity where you think you're safer with your enemies, he says, I, I'm going to get you. 
If you think that you can go to the deepest part of the ocean, He's up for a pair of serpent to get you. There's no escaping the judgment of God. He is everywhere. Just as He prepared the great fish for Jonah, He'll prepare the great serpent to bite them in the deepest part of the ocean. He says, you can hide yourself on top of Carmel. Mount Carmel was known for uh, having thousands of different caves and, and caverns. Very dense forestry. People could could go and they could go. In fact, hermits were known to go into these caves and caverns and, and just sit there and, and, and get away from everybody. But God says, I'll send the search party out for you, which is himself, and he's going to find you. You can hide in those caves. You can hide in those forests. But God will find you. No escape. This morning, the Bible says that if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, you've never came to that point when you've said, Lord, I'm a sinner, save me. The Bible says you are doomed to hell. You need salvation. And there will be no escape. You can't come to church enough times. You can't give enough tithes and offerings. You can't volunteer enough Sunday school, nursery, vacation Bible school. You can't give enough time to the church to buy your way into escaping the judgment of God. Number two. You may ask yourself, would God really do that? Would God really judge people the way that He is saying He's going to judge these kingdoms, Israel, Judah? Can God do that? Well, that brings us to the power of God. Verse number 5 and 6 describes this power of God. He says, And the Lord God of hosts is He that, look at this, Toucheth the land, and it shall melt. All that dwell therein shall mourn, and it shall rise holy like a flood, and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. It is he that buildeth his stories in the heavens, and hath founded his troop in the earth. He that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. That's the power of God. God is so powerful. Why? Because He, as Creator, He has the authority to judge. As the Creator, He has the power to judge. How powerful is God? It says, just with the touch of His hands, the earth shall melt. He is the one that causes the floods to come upon the earth. He is the one that says that, that builds His stories in the heavens. Calls for the waters of the sea and pours them upon the face of the earth. Amos is reminding the people here, and he's reminding us today, just how powerful 
God is. So don't think you can escape God. And when you face Him, don't think that He's going to let you off lightly. There's times when I've had to spank my children. I know that's horrible. But they do they do act up sometimes and they do deserve a spanking every now and then. There are times where I'll spank them and I'll get no reaction out of them. So I spank them a little harder. Until they cry. You gotta make them cry. If they don't cry, you're not doing anything. It's almost as if I have to kind of build up to that point. Let me say this. God doesn't have to build up to any point. When he strikes you, he strikes you and you will know it. He has the power to do this. He has the authority to do this. And he will do this. He is the creator of all that you see. And as the creator, he sets the rules and he sets the timing in which he will punish the wicked. So just because you think you're getting away with sin now, don't think he doesn't see it. Don't think he's forgotten about you. But know that your time is coming. But as we talk about the judgment of God and the power of God, thirdly, I want us to notice the impartialness of God. You see, the people of Israel, the two kingdoms, Judah and Israel, they, they thought that they, because of this special privilege that they had as being God's people, that, that they could be let off lightly. But God is impartial in that. He, 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 and that's what he gets to in verse number 7 through 10. He says in verse 7, he says, Are ye not as the children of the Ethiopians unto me, O children of Israel, saith the Lord? Have not I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the Syrians from Kerr? You see what he's doing? He's making really a reference to the children of Israel really being no different than any other people that he's brought up from another land. And in doing that, he's saying, look, I've had this special relationship with you, but the way you're behaving is just like the relationship that I have with Egypt or with the Ethiopians and with the Palestine or the Philistines. Warren Wiersbe, in regards to verse 7, says this, he says, Jehovah is the God of history who showed his great power by delivering the Jews from bondage of Egypt. He claimed for them his own people, yet they turned against him and went their own way. Therefore, he will have to treat the Jews as he treats the Gentiles. There's no special privilege just because of your name. Just like there's no special privilege for the people in churches that because their dad was a pastor, their mom was a Sunday school teacher, their uncle or grandfather was a deacon. There's no special privilege in growing up in a Christian home that God will say, oh, you grew up in a good godly home. I'll take it easy on you. No, you must have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
So he's impartial. He is impartial. Just because they are Israel doesn't mean he will not judge them. So he refers to them in verse number 8. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from off the face of the earth. But yet, as we think about that, remember when Abraham and those angels came down and, and they met Abraham and they, they told him about how they were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And, and Abraham cried and he said, he said, what about the righteous people that are in the city? He said, would you destroy it for 50? They said, no, we'll spare for the 50. What about for 40? Will you spare for 40? We'll spare for 40. It gets all the way down to 10. Yes, we'll spare it for 10 people. God was going to be faithful and not destroy the righteous along with the wicked. And that is said here in our text as well. Verse number 8. I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations like as corn is sifted in a sieve. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. The sifting here is uh, is interesting. That well, it basically would be like taking a... Uh, in my mind, I'm thinking of uh, the uh, gold diggers that they go and they get the pans of... Uh, water and gold, they sift through, and all the water and sand falls out. What you got left is the the gold. That's kind of what we're seeing here, except it's a reference to the uh, the wheat and corn and kernels and things like that. And he's he, and he's saying, he says, I'm going to sift through Israel. He's, I'm going to sift through and and look for the righteous. I'm going to look for those that have not bowed their knee to Baal. I'm going to look for those that have worshipped me and me alone couple of things about this sifting that was interesting. One of my commentaries said about this is that, number one, God is the agent in the sifting. He is the one going through. Listen, if when you want somebody to judge, you want God to be the one to judge because he judges fairly and righteously. Not only that, though, the sifting uh, depicts the unsettled condition of, of Israel. They're going from one side to the other side, from one side to the other side. This sifting also reveals the universal dispersion of God's people among the nations, as that's represented here. The chaff and the dust also will be done away and lost. All the unfit pieces of the grain will fall out of the sieve. But it says the least of the grain will not fall to the earth. The kernels, the true remnant, those that have not bowed their knee to false gods, they will remain and be delivered. God is impartial in his dealings. God is impartial in his judgment. Now as we think about righteousness today, righteousness is something that comes wholly by the grace of God. Jesus Christ died for our sins to give us righteousness. And if you don't have His righteousness, 
Then verse number 10 is for you. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. You know what the cross of Jesus Christ teaches us? That God does not overlook sin. Your sin will either be punished in Christ or it will be punished in you for all eternity. But either way, there's no escaping the judgment of God. This morning as we come to a close, I wonder if you're here and don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. You're here and you're recognizing that you are a sinner, that God will have His day with you. But yet, today, grace is extended through Jesus Christ. Won't you put your faith and trust in Him? For He is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to God. Refusing to do so, you will spend an eternity in hell. Where God's wrath and judgment will never be escaped. Never be quenched. Won't you trust in Christ today? As we stand to our feet. Thank you for joining us for our broadcast. I hope you'll join us again next time with Rick Clark Ministries.